Hey guys, welcome to this episode of the Street Cop Training Podcast. I'm your host, founder and CEO of Street Cop Training. My name is Dennis Benio. Today with me, I have Christopher Hoyer. Chris Hoyer, out of the lovely Sunshine State. Well, that's actually Florida. What's 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 California's fucking keys? What are you guys out there? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I went back a couple of years, so um, Communist Republic of California. I don't know. Oh, okay. <laughs> where, where, where did you move from? Uh, originally from uh, New England, but I moved here from Phoenix uh, three, two and a half years ago. So. Phoenix is awesome, dude. Great. I was just there. Right, yeah. I just took my I first class in Scottsdale. Scottsdale PD hosted the class. Oh yeah, yeah. I know a lot of those guys over there. Uh, yeah, I can't good, say that I miss it. So, good group. Uh, my brother-in-law is uh, with the Maricopa County Sheriff's Office. Oh, there. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So he was able to come to the training to a bunch of his friends. So it was it was very rewarding for me to be able to give back to him as my family member, in, the only family member I have in law enforcement. Yeah. Um, nice. But dude, I've, Scottsdale's fucking awesome. Oh yeah, that's 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 the place to be if you're going to be out there for sure. You know? Oh my god, bro! I had no idea how cool it was there. Yeah. That's the place, brother. There's a lot of stuff going on there too. People don't think, you know, Scottsdale's got a, you know, crime street, but they really do, man. There's a lot of good stuff going on over there. So. Oh, bro, they, I mean they got a 400 man police agency. They're they're rocking and rolling out there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So anyway, dude, um, why don't you just give me a little of the uh context of your career, your life, and then we'll go into the things that you want to delve into and the 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 advocacy and the you know, the the things you want to let people hear and know about. Without further ado. Go ahead. Tell us about you. Right on. Cool. Well, I live in uh, San Diego now. Moved out here from Phoenix in uh, 2019. Retired from Phoenix PD in 2018 after a 20-year and 64-day career. And that started in uh, 1997. And I was uh, not really forced into retirement, but definitely had a major impact on why I retired in uh, 2016. But I'll get into that whole story as we move along. But uh, so yeah, I moved out here. Uh, I had planned to come out here my entire life, and I met my uh, my now girlfriend at the time, book editor there in Phoenix, and then we uh, kind of went through the whole motion of you know getting to know each other and then falling in love and then the fairy tale, and now she's living with me out here and the whole thing. She moved out here a couple of months after I did, so uh, it's been a beautiful journey between the two of us about uh, all the stuff we've been doing together. It's been awesome, so. Um, I got picked up by the Marine Corps Police Academy as an instructor, and then they decided to jump ship, move to Missouri. Thank you very much, even though I was under contract, which was kind of irritating. But um, so now I'm in the uh, private security sector, training guys on how to be technically the first responders. Um, they are security guards, which is a little bit different than what I'm used to, used to teaching guys. But despite what their role is, uh, they're they're out there vests and guns and badges and stuff. I still I teach them the exact same way I teach any other law enforcement agency, just because. You know, technically speaking, as, as crazy as it sounds, they're going to be the true first responders for what they're doing. The cops are going to be the second responders. And I tell my guys, it's like, well, fire is going to be like the fourth or fifth responder. So, you know, but uh, no, just kind of <laughs> fire. Uh, those guys, God bless them. So, but uh, yeah, so that's what I'm doing now. It's, it's actually a pretty good gig. I'm digging it. And they left me in charge of all the training, which is like, okay, good luck with that, man. So mm-hmm. I'm actually enjoying myself a lot. So that's cool. Yeah. So, uh, you started your 20 year career. Tell us about your career. Tell us about what you're, what you've been doing, all these things and incidents that have occurred, all that jazz. Okay. Well, I'll jump right into the heavy stuff. So, um, hired on 97, I started testing in 96, hired on 97, graduated 98. And then in, uh, August of 99, I got into my first, uh, you really can't call it a true officer involved shooting because it was up against a dog, even though the dog was a 150 pound Rottweiler and 
he was hell bent on killing me. But, you know, I learned a tremendous amount of um, tactical, situational awareness kind of things on that scene because that thing happened so fast. And I realized that, you know, now I'm in charge. You know, I'm just barely on the street a year, not even, you know, I'm walking around like pounding my chest, like, yeah, look at me. And then I end up getting into a semi-critical incident against a dog. And I just, it, I, what I took away from that was how quickly that happened and how much damage could have occurred if it hadn't been me if it could have been some mom with her kids jogging or something else like that you know this dog would have ripped him apart and thank god i was there to, to save the day so to speak so that was uh that was my initiation if you will and then i started to realize i'm like you know i really need to start focusing on on what could happen because next time it's probably not going to be a dog it's going to be something bigger and sure shit i was dead spot on right so what i started doing was playing the what if game um, every single day, I still do it right now at, you know, you know, been retired three and a half years, something like that now. So, um, I'm constantly just saying, okay, what if this happens? What if that happens? You know, I, I'm coming around the corner to a guy I'm facing with a knife or a guy approaches my patrol car with the gun or whatever it is. I mean, any one of a million different possible scenarios. And sure enough, in uh, July of 2000, um, really long story short, this guy got a stolen car, stolen gun. He had three felony warrants for pulling a sawed-off shotgun on my field training officer a year before. And um, skip kind of fast forward. I ended up finding him inside a car. He's trying to steal a car. He's got a eight-inch straight-slotted throwing knife. He's cracking the column of his car. And ultimately, what I had to do was, like, kick the window out of the car. And when that happened, basically, the, the glass shattered. He threw the knife down the gun, got to about here, and then that was it. I opened fire on him, put him down. But what I took away from that, of course, was that that whole thing happened in about 0.2 of a second. And I had gone through that, you know, you really don't use your use of force continuum anymore. I mean, I get it, but back then that's what it was. So I went through that use of force continuum in about that, you know, that quarter of a second, trying to figure out, okay, the what if, the what if, the what if. And then I went straight to pretty much straight to deadly force when it came time to to, to go get hands on, if you will. So, um, so that was my, you know, my second introduction to major critical incidents and then um shit i mean i'll just talk about the uh, the big ones first and then we'll go back for this for the little ones later if you guys want to but uh so fast forward 2013 um guy steals a truck 550 uh flatbed ford you know he's uh, he's just terrorizing the city for about 35 minutes give or take um this guy takes out three semis takes out 20 cars including several patrol cars one motor officer's bike um, goes head on with a patrol car and that officer fired a rifle round through his windshield, just somehow missed the guy by centimeters. The guy moved right out of the way and made the round right through the center of his headrest. And then that's two other guys opened fire on him. My partner and I, I was driving that day and we decided we're going to stop, you know, further down the road. We saw the guy making a U-turn. So I stopped probably about a, about a quarter mile back. And, uh, as he's driving by, uh, we estimated about 50 miles an hour, 28 yards out. I came up with the rifle and uh, cranked off nine rounds into his door. Um, my partner put in put seven rounds through his door at the same time, and he was he wasn't done then, but he I think he died days or weeks later, whatever it was. Uh, he was still in custody, I think, when we took him uh, when he when he finally passed away. So so that was uh, incident number three, and like I mentioned earlier on, the uh, the semi career ending gunfight that happened in 2016 we got ambushed and we lost an officer and that was my my first actual gunfight but my uh, fourth now shooting and i i preached this 
all the time to folks that don't know because I didn't know as stupid as it sounds. I did not know the difference between a gunfight and a shooting. Sounds pretty obvious, right? But when you, you know, for guys to understand, it's like when the target turns, raise and fire two rounds. Well, that's what I would always was doing all the other times during my critical incidents. And that, that seemed to work, you know, okay, whatever target turned. I raised my, my weapon fired the appropriate amount of rounds. The guy went down, you know, waiting for the pizzas. When you put, you know, what ended up being initially 10 rounds or so into the guy's car and you think that's going to work because it's worked out every other time you've ever done it. And then you come off target and the guy starts shooting back at you. Oh shit. I, you know, I didn't like that one bit. And then, uh, so I moved off the X, came back up and cranked off another X, X amount of rounds for a total of 22 finally before the guy went down. Uh, a rifle or a handgun? I was shooting a rifle. Uh, he was shooting a handgun back at me. Um, Killed one of my sister squad mates. Um, you know, the guy, Dave Glass, was getting out of his car. Guy basically shot him in the in the upper leg and then shot him in the head. Dave was dead on the scene right there on the spot. Um, this guy was just hell-bent on killing as many of us as he could. And I just happened to be the next one in line. You know, so I started shooting at him from his passenger side at about a 30-degree angle from about 35 yards out. And then he reached back out his middle window and started cranking off rounds at me. I was like, oh, you know, that... You know, I, I kind of talk about it where, you know, I've been shot at multiple times. Most of the time, you don't know where the shots are coming from kind of a thing. But what I what I learned from that experience was watching a guy point a gun at you and pull the trigger is where I started losing my losing my emotional stability, if you will. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. So. So those are my four major critical incidents. And, and I had all kinds of other things intertwined in between. 2016 was by far the worst career year of my life. and that started with watching an eight-year-old hang himself pretty much right in front of me to purposely or by accident. Uh, we think it was by purpose. I think he was trying to get attention. I don't think he realized the consequences he was going to have. Um, his 12 uh, year old sister was having a birthday party and he was feeling kind of left out. We talked to the family, of course, after the fact, and um, he was just gunning for attention. And she was unbelievable. It was, dude, it was, it was horrible. I mean, this is something that I've never done before. And this when this happened, I had 18 years on the street and I was so jacked up. I actually hopped in the ambulance with fire to go down to Children's Hospital. And then I realized I'm like, well, shit, now how do I get back? Right. <laughs> That's kind of a problem. Luckily, my buddies brought my patrol car down to me and met me down there. Um, but this is when I realized that I was, you know, it wasn't necessarily that one particular incident, but it was 18 years of other shit that I had not processed through properly. So when I drove back to the, the precinct that I worked at, I pulled in there and I'm looking for my truck. And I'm like, dude, you haven't worked in this precinct in a year. Now, what does that tell you? You know, I mean, I was so freaking, I mean, my head was so spun out of control. Um, that's when I started seeking some help. Uh, unfortunately, we got involved in another major critical incident where it was a shooting call. It wasn't, a, it wasn't an officer involved shooting, but this guy ended up killing, um, ended up killing three people. Was supposed to be taken into custody, but he wasn't. Um, he fired off around another outlying agency supervisor and that guy same thing right through the freaking windshield right through his headrest and missed him by a centimeter just as he's getting out of the car um, so he almost killed an officer as actually a sergeant and then uh, based on my investigation i went to the fbi and i was telling him hey man this guy's dangerous he needs to be taken off the street and i mean i went up the flagpole nobody paid any attention sure as shit this guy you know he gets released you know, a little while later and he goes off and just does his crime spree so i'm dealing with that and then on that same exact day, two of my really good friends got into a, the worst gunfight imaginable and both survived it miraculously. 
problem with that was I wasn't there to help him. I, I couldn't be there to assist in that whole thing. And then, of course, you fast forward till uh, May of 2016. That's when my buddy Dave was killed. So, I mean, it was I was climbing. I mean, I was I was a you know poster child for you know post traumatic stress or what have you. Mm-hmm. And after Dave was killed, I, I completely just freaking came unraveled totally. So, but uh, so that's a start. So, yeah, um, see where this is going, and I think it's going to be a, a, probably some real important points that are going to come up in this. And um, this is why I wanted to have you on the podcast. I think it's super important to have this conversation. And before we continue on any further, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to do this for your uh, fellow law enforcement community. Because if people don't know who you are, they're certainly going to know who you are now. And maybe some of the things that you say, somebody may be going through and can relate to. And uh, it'll, it'll, it'll provide a lot of value to them. So. I appreciate it very much. And it's absolutely my honor. And I know I kind of breeze through that stuff very quickly. Um, when we get to the end, if you want to share my information for folks that want to reach out to me, please let them because uh, now I'm back full circle. I mean, I've, I've come back hundred um, percent. And there were, there were some major struggles that I went through um, during the whole thing. You know, I ended up moving out of my house with my now ex and right after that was when Dave was killed and then everything just kind of plummeted out of control after that. And then, Initially, my department took really good care of me, but about a year after they started to kind of turn their back on me a little bit more and more and more, um, which is, again, what kind of led to my retirement on some level, because I kind of felt very much like, you know, and it sounds, and I'm, I don't want to sound like I'm, I'm being a, you know, freaking rock star or anything else like that. But, you know, when you are forced to kill three guys for the city you work for, and then all of a sudden they're turning their back on you, you kind of feel like, well, what the fuck? I mean... I wasn't, I didn't want to do this. I didn't want to be in these, in these critical situations, but I was. And now that I'm, now that I'm past all that, you know, after the, right after the shootings and everything else, and I survived it all. Um, now I'm not getting support from my city that I needed, you know, and that's unfortunately very, very common. Um, I can get very, very detailed on how I handled those things. And I made a whole bunch of really stupid mistakes, stupid decisions, and I came back again full from that one full circle, even though I left when I retired, I left very, very angry. And looking back on it now, uh, a lot of that stuff really wasn't because of what the department was doing. It's because I was being a pain in the ass myself, you know, and I recognize that now, you know, so. Oh, man, I, you know, I, I, I want to jump in and say it's interesting if people are experiencing things in relationships like you talk about your ex, um, you know. Sometimes there's outlying factors that aren't so apparent in the beginning. And who am I to speak about this stuff? But uh, mental health is a very, very real thing. And it can be very detrimental to all your relationships. Uh, would you agree with that? Absolutely. Oh, 100%. No question. So maybe if somebody's wondering why things and relationships in their lives would be going on a downslide uh, or not, not, not where they're supposed to be or where they once were, you may want to look into, well, why do you think that is? And sometimes people who are, who are experiencing mental health issues don't even realize or are not mentally capable of understanding that they are sick. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Dude, I'm telling you, I was, I was that guy 100% across the board because I was doing like we do, walking around like, nope, I'm good. And my friends knew, my coworkers, they all knew that I was a freaking disaster. And what I tell people now is, you know, it, of course, based on, on my experience only because that's all I can reference is that, you can't go 18 years and see the worst of the worst that shakes people to their very foundation and expect to be okay. Cause you're just not going to be, you just can't, you can't see shit 
Like in my case, I've buried 16 of my buddies in a line of duty in 20 years, plus three since I've now retired. It's like, dude, that's that's insane. I mean, how what how does that happen? That's like battlefield numbers, man. Shit. It's know? wild. Is, is Phoenix really that fucking nuts? Well, here's what a lot of people don't realize about Phoenix because it's it's a central location. It's a hub, literally. So you've got Las Vegas, you got Los Angeles, you got Mexico, you got New Mexico, you got all those places that are all just within the outlying areas. Colorado's right there. Colorado's turning into a freaking pretty rough area too, from what I understand. And so a lot of folks they land in Phoenix and then they disperse out from there, you know, which is a great place to do it because you're right there. You know, you got the cartels just south of the border, three and a half hours away, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where it all starts. So yeah, we get a lot of exceptionally violent crimes there. And yeah, unfortunately, Phoenix traditionally is always in the lead yearly for officer involved shootings. And I don't think that's because we're trigger happy. I just think because we're dealing with so many just diverse situations because you got you got your Asian gangs, you got your Hells Angels, you got your cartels, you got all these things going on. Uh, it's it's always some kind of something major going on, you know, and it's not just Phoenix, believe me. I mean, it's all the other outlying areas. Scottsdale, like you talked about earlier. You know, they're they're getting filtered into that shit too, so it's crazy. Wild man, the wild wild west, man. There's no doubt about it. I mean, if you want to get some action, go to Phoenix, man. No doubt. So, yeah, and unfortunately, uh, from what I've been led to believe, is that Phoenix is um, an area that's becoming much more riddled with a with maybe a an overview or overseeing of the agency with a very liberal mindset. Dude, that's, yeah, you know, I can't stand that that's the direction that they're going, but I have heard that recently. Um, and it's really a shame because, I mean, Phoenix, they're awesome, awesome agency. In fact, I only had really like one boss that I didn't get along with, and I was really like pretty much my last year on the street. Um, but beyond that, I mean, they they truly did take really, really good care of me, and I never had any, any complaints about the agency whatsoever, not one. Um, but now that they've kind of changed their tune a little bit and are – my now former chief, of course, she's and I and I kind of understand part of it because she's got people to answer to. I get it. But she's kind of cowering to the the left, you know, and it's like, dude, no, we can't can't be doing this shit. I mean, we're not out there flipping burgers and bagging groceries. We are carrying rifles that shoot three thousand feet per second in a neighborhood. You know, that's the kind of shit that we're dealing with. You know, <laughs> I mean, so we need to act accordingly, in my opinion, of course. But again, I've never been a supervisor, nor do I ever want to be. Um, but you know, you can clearly see what's going to going on across the country where, you know, they start this whole defunding thing and we don't want the cops out here. And then what happens? Of course, the crime rates go up and then they start wondering, well, where are the cops? Well, you told us you don't want us over here. So we're over here freaking in the, in the station doing whatever. So, mm. so anyway, <laughs> no, 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 no. It's, I look it, it's, it's, it, there's no question about it. It's factual. Uh, the, I, I said this before, I said, if you could get behind some of these, liberal ideas as a human being it reveals to me that you're an absolute moron and you're a fucking moron it doesn't even make any fucking sense at all no, right you're you know and i, I told people people ask what do you think the solution is i go it's just the opposite fund the fuck out of the police you want professionals we can make them for you we there are people out here who are professional know this job well and we can do that for you um, it's, it's it's wild and dude again we're going down a rabbit hole now you know it's a whole different topic of and we're firing people up. And, you know, if you actually, and I don't know how much you know about our company and how much you follow, but I really try to stay out of the political side of things. I really push my agenda of what I believe cops should be doing, the kind of training they should be receiving. And 
and the kind of culture I'm looking to develop to, to change law enforcement for the future. And, you know, I'm proud to say that I think we are having some impact that I think uh, eventually it'll be significant. And um, I told a class on Monday in Cleveland, I said, it sounds crazy, but I'm trying to change the whole fucking thing. Like, the whole thing's done. I want it to be completely different. And if you listen to what I have to say, and myself and the other 32 instructors that work here, we're all on the same page. We think that all of these things will make a better future for the country and for police. And eventually, people will have to – it's so right that it's you can't not agree with it because it's just the facts. Right. Right? We're telling you, this is how you should behave on duty. This is how you should behave off duty. This is the kind of training you should receive. These are the kind of things you should do with your with your time to be proactive. This is the mental health we're trying to set up to understand about these things. This is what, what it means to wear the blue line on your shirt. This is what it means to, uh, you know, this is the behavior, all of these things. This is what you should know. These are the investigation tools and techniques that we all use to have success. And here's what's important, having a spine, good leadership, all that shit. You know, so we send a lot of that stuff. Um, we're trying to send that message. And, and you know, people... People say, you know, you have like uh, a raving fan culture. You guys are like a cult network. I go, well, anytime that you hear something that really speaks to you or your heart or your soul, you know, you're going to obviously gravitate towards that. I, I have people that I admire in my professional life that I listen to their podcasts and I read their books. And I'm, I, I think they're wonderful. I'm very, very big fans of these people who have taught me a better way of life and how to live. Yeah, you know, I, mean? I, I love what you guys do. I do follow you, and I know a lot of what's going on. In fact, I'm trying to, I'm considering trying if I can get in with you guys. Um, just lend my tiny little bit of expertise, whatever. Yeah, no, listen, dude, I for sure. Um, but you know, very much like you guys, I'm I'm very much based on reasoning and factual basis. You know, and when you start, because I was we were telling a story yesterday. Well, not a story. It's, it's you know the uh, the officer up in was Minneapolis that pulled the taser versus the gun. Yeah, yeah. I, I allowed the class to give me their opinion, and then I started talking about because I'm a real big fan of like force science and some of those kind of companies. And what I did was I broke it down and explained it to them in such a way that you know it, it opened their eyes and it kind of changed their tune. And they're like, "God, I never thought about it that way." Well, that's very typical with a lot of the people. That everybody, everybody, dude. You know what I mean? Like, like it's just we are riddled with morons in this world. It's not this country. It's this world and more, you have to submit at some point to understanding acknowledging that you can't make sense to crazy people yeah. <laughs> right and, and the second one is and I, I love this saying is like when you begin arguing with an asshole two assholes appear yeah well you know perfect. i was in disney I, I think i told this on one of the podcasts recently and I, where i was talking about it in class and i'm in disney and this guy we're at the we're uh we're waiting for the monorail to come around this guy behind me is an older guy he's like you know, he just starts to engage me. And he's like, oh, he's like, uh, I'm in politics, you know? And I'm like, oh boy, here we go. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, you know, I'm a, I'm a conservative and uh, this border crisis. And I'm like, dude, I'm trying to get fucking a turkey leg at the Magic Kingdom. <laughs> right? The last thing I want to do, I have, I have all these kids with me. I, I don't want to expend energy on things that this conversation is not going to change a fucking thing of your border yeah, crisis. Definitely. So let's talk, like, I'm, I'm always trying to deflect candor that has no benefit to it. you know i will not engage if you have me at a hundred person party and you i you will see i will literally just gingerly float around and avoid the nonsense until i find a until i find a thoughtful conversation where i feel like you or i are going to benefit from it right not to sit here and listen to each other fucking complain the whole time 
I know. I always tell people this. I say, yeah, listen, I say things, uh, but we act on that shit, right? I don't say things and don't do anything about it. We are, we are taking action. I'm telling you, I think police training is fucking terrible. So what do I do? I start a training company and I'm in the fucking field nonstop, putting out content nonstop to try to fix it. You can complain all you want, but when are you going to start doing something about it? You know what I mean? I couldn't agree more, man. You know, and I've, I've told people this all the time. It's like, you know, if you don't want police presence, then when something happens, don't call us. When your car gets stolen, don't call us. You know what? Because if you want us, you don't want us out there. And I get it. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I've, I've known a whole bunch of my buddies that are just jerks and they, they may or may not sh- should be carrying the badge or whatever. But, you know, but when the fact of the matter is when you need us, you know, who are you going to call? If we're not there, who are you going to who's going to respond to your crisis? And those, and those buddies you talked about are people that I think I can reach and change, you know, and, 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 and manipulate their behavior for a lot of, um, a lot of new ingredients in what the chemical makeup is. And it, it all comes down for us to just one overall consistent reoccurring theme of why is it this way? It's because of a lack of training. I couldn't agree more. Absolutely. You know, and not to cut you off, you know, when you got guys in the academy, I was, I was going back to my, my academy records uh, a couple months ago, and it dawned on me that one of the very first classes that we took was mental preparation, you know. And guess what? I don't remember jack shit from that class. Because it was crap. As a recruit, you got, you know, 4,000 things. It's a fire hose of information. You're not going to remember half of anything. And by the way, out of those 4,000 things, 394 don't even fucking, 3,994 uh, don't even fucking matter. Pretty much, I agree. Right, like, so, like, like let's let's teach things that are important for guys and girls to be able to take with them for a lifetime and to have in their toolbox or at least a foundation of where to go when you need this and where can you find these things. And you know, listen, put up I, there's an Instagram post today and I knew it was gonna be controversial that I put up. And um I, I love it because I'm gonna say right now how many, how many it's very funny. It's me holding up a sign that says, I'll tell you what it says, because it really ruffled people's feathers. And you know, again, there's just a bunch of more and so shitload of comments. I've actually not, I've disengaged from it because it'll just eventually just fizzle off. Right now, it's the hot one. Um, so I can show, I, it, I don't know if you've seen this one yet, but I'll read it to you. It says, if you have time to write tickets, you have time to catch criminals. Use your time wisely. <laughs> right? So people are like losing their fucking minds. But at the same time, you know, there are 3,751 likes on it. And I put it up about four hours ago. All right. No kidding. So. You know, I said, somebody said, hey, this, this person on this comment said they're going to leave your page. You're, they're going to they're gonna unfollow you. I go, cool. That's cool because 194 people just follow us because of this post. Right. right. So if, you, if you're finding it, if I actually wrote, commented on that person who wrote that, I said, the truth hurts, doesn't it? <laughs> and dude, I've had people want to try to try to corner me in this and start trying to push their point and advocate why tickets are so important. And then I can just literally point to three traffic stops that I know of where we told people to get off the ticket book, start focusing on criminal interdiction and trying to intervene and interrupt crime. And, you know, one of the best ones we have is a, is a guy from Kentucky who, who intervened in a kidnapping nine and a 12 year old being sold in the black market. Oh my God. And he caught them 20 minutes before the drop off the exchange. Man. And, you know, I tell that to people and I'm like, so, well, you're playing laser tag on the side of the road with a LIDAR unit trying to make sure the battery's charged up a backup battery. What are you missing? Right. What are you missing? You want to just relinquish that you don't need to be bothered with guns and drugs and stuff like that. But with that focus comes other things. Criminal interdiction is criminal interdiction. We don't call it drug interdiction. It is criminal interdiction. And brother, I've had people from 
I mean, I just, the stories that I've had that I've picked up on behaviors, I had, I've actually, one that just came to my mind is stop the car and this kid, he's nervous. He's a nervous wreck, right? And I'm digging into it. And he just dropped a 15 year old off who was his friend. He was 18, knew this girl, dropped her off at the airport. She met a guy online. She's, she's shooting down to like, I think it was Kentucky. And, you know, I'm now here. I'm inside the road with this kid. I'm getting on the phone with Port Authority Police here in Newark. And I'm like, you got, she was on the plane. She was going. Wow. And it would, have been a, it would have been a situation. The guy was like, he was, she was 15. The guy was like 37 years old. Oh my God. She was, she was in route, you know, and this is a real story. And, you know, it, he, this kid's like, he knew he did something wrong. And so that action was important. Interestingly enough, no bullshit. Uh, later that night, I was, a car was, I thought it was, I was in a chase. So I was trying to get the plate in as I was trying to stop it. And I literally, as they were stopping, I bumped the back of the car. No damage. The guy's like, look, I don't want to, you know, you don't got to do a report. I'm like, listen, man, I don't have a choice. I have, it's on camera. I got to write the report. So I rescued a girl who was running away. It's a real story. I rescued a girl who was, who was, I just caught her. I got no recognition for it. The next day I come in, internal affairs is there. And I go, we got a letter for you. Yeah. I go, oh, cool. For the car crash from last night with no damage. <laughs> a letter of reprimand. And he looks at me and he was a good guy. This guy was a good dude. He got promoted. They put him in internal affairs, but he was a good guy. He didn't, he was, and he was on his way out. He had like a year left. He was a good guy, not no, to no detriment to him. And he goes, Hey, listen, I'm just a messenger. I go, well, let me send the messenger back with a little something back up to that fucking second floor up there. <laughs> I go, the absurdity of this place that there was no recognition for this job earlier. And I'm getting fucking dinged on this thing is beyond my fucking comprehension in this world. How the fuck you guys think it's okay to do this is beyond me. And you can go there up there to that fucking office and tell those people that. And I was like on the job like two years. Yeah. And I was like, you can go tell them exactly what the fuck I said. And I don't fucking care. <laughs> I'm like, kind of going, dude, you got balls. I go, I don't fucking get it. I don't get it. I don't understand I a, it. I got a friend right now. He got jammed up because uh, they're chasing shit all over town. Uh, he's still on with my old agency. And, uh, the guy had a felony warrant for his arrest, and they they lost him in the neighborhood or whatever else. He happened to be working off duty wherever it was, freaking some bar probably more than likely. Well, he hears this, he gets he, he savvy, switches his channel, you know, over to, to the proper channel, and uh, like yeah, he was last seen running eastbound or whatever else. So he's he's kind of heads up, he's a good street cop, you know. And uh, sure shit, the guy jumps the fence to his bar where he's at. He takes the dude into custody after a little struggle. He ends up getting tased the whole thing. I mean, they're like fourteen fucking units trying to find this dude. And he takes him into custody single-handedly by himself. The very next day, he gets a freaking written because he didn't turn his camera on. Yeah, it's, it's wild, dude. Let me see. I went hands-on with a 1051 by myself, and the guy wanted to fight, and nobody was coming to help me because I didn't turn my camera on. Now, there's no recognition, like you said, for all the other great shit that I did, except for what I did wrong. Yeah, it's not nice, sin, you know? So. You know, we, had, we made a point. I mean, Tom Rizzo, uh, who's our leadership instructor, you know, um, we recently did a podcast and he talked, we talked about this. It's, it's, and, and what we're saying is we know that we may not be able to, to impact as it sits now. We're trying to build the future generations to behave appropriately. That's where it's real. Cause you can learn how to lead and you can learn how to be a good human being. And it starts with being a good human being, right? Like being nice to people is a real cool fucking thing to do. Uh, I'm like, between your coworkers and the public and your subordinates and your superiors, like being nice will get you very far in the respect level from other people. Like just being nice to people. Yeah. I, well, I, I agree. Not only with your, with your peers, with the bad guys too, you know, and I'd, I'd get into a good scuffle with somebody. 
first thing you got to do is start dusting them off. Hey, man, I apologize for doing that, but you understand why it happened, right? You know? Oh, same thing, brother. You know, and I got I, 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 apologies I've had. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. All the time. All the time. And I yeah. got more oh, yeah. freaking confessions off of guys because I go buy them a Coke. I'm like, here, dude, I'm sorry for freaking thumping you, but you understand why here, you know, a little, you know, make amends here kind of thing. Yeah, a pack of Newports in my bag. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All the time, dude. Oh, oh okay. Back awesome. I didn't smoke. <laughs> pack of Newports. But, uh, Solve a lot of problems with uh, with with a pack of Newports, dude. Oh. Solve a lot of uh, investigations. Oh yeah, dude. I can't tell you how many, man. I talk about that, you know, with all my guys too. It's like, look, man. You know, it's not personal to look as personal. If it does get personal, then you'll know. Trust me, and then you can handle it accordingly. But in the meantime, you know, you're wearing a badge. You know, you're a prof- you're a professional. You're representative. You've got to act accordingly. You can't be doing shit that's even as for the guys that I'm training that are security guards. You know, you guys are out there representing our company. You know, you got to be, just like I said, you got to be professional. That's just the way it is, you know. Mm-hmm. And if you can't handle that, then you got to be doing something else. Go back to freaking Walmart and wherever you worked before, you know, kind of a thing. Yeah, so, yeah. it's true. Not for everybody, by the way. So talking just real quick, going back to your other topic about uh, a lot of the training, I think that uh, my opinion only, of course, is that uh, everybody in the world, for the most part, you know, you got, you got your handful of guys that, that just slip through the cracks. I get it, you know. I may be one of them, but uh, <laughs> so uh, you got dudes that always have good intentions when they start, and then over you know yeah, probably about the five year mark. I'm just going to say, as an educated guess, they start becoming more jaded, um, less tolerant of people, uh, more you know you know willing to yell and scream at people. Because they have now seen the divorce of humanity in that three, five year mark, give or take. And then they, you know, they don't want to be trained. They don't want to be told what to do. They don't want to accept the fact that, hey, man, you know what? If you take a step back from this career from time to time, it's going to do you a world of good. But, you know, and I didn't I didn't live, breathe and freaking eat freaking cop world all the time. But there were times when I'd forget what I was doing and I'd be in the grocery store and she'd ask me, you know, a question. I'm like, yeah, 10 for <laughs> I know. Cut it off, man. You are not on duty. You are only on duty 40 hours a week, give or take, you know, depending on, of course. But there are times when you need to get away from this career just for the purpose of making yourself better, survive, you know, and that's what I teach. I'm My number one thing now is survival, whatever that is. Um, I got four elements that I teach on that. It's uh, physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual. And any one of those things, and all four of those combined if you do them the right way. Um, and the first thing I tell people all the time too, is you need to want to be okay. If you think you're not okay, if you get to that point, you realize that you're not okay. That's a, that's a perfect start. That's a, that's exactly where you want to be. But then you've got to be able to admit to yourself that I want to be okay. I don't want to be depressed. I don't want to be having anxiety attacks and being an alcoholic and all these things. You take that to the next level. And I guarantee if you want to be okay, um, there are a million freaking resources out there now that you will get the help that you need. So, uh, Yeah, Chris, we have to talk more. I'm going to give you my cell phone number when we finish. Um, and maybe not tonight, but probably another night because uh, I do want to get into this and I'm, my batteries are on low. I have to go to actually awake after this. Um, oh, no. yeah. it's, it's not, it's uh, my friend, a guy went to the police cabin with his mother passed away. So, uh, you know, um, I guess it's a perfect opportunity to say that, you know, I'm sorry for his loss and uh, I'm going to go show him support tonight yeah. because it's the right thing to do. And that's what I live by. I live by doing the right thing. That's literally the motto of my fucking life. I agree, man. I live the exact same way, which is, you know, I mean, I got to be honest with you. This is why I'm living the dream that I am now, because I I tried my hardest 
you know, toward the end of my career to do everything right, even though I made some mistakes. But then I started to realize, you know, it's like, well, my number's already up. I just don't know when. And from all the other shit that I've survived, you know, there's a reason why I'm still here. So now I'm going to use that power for good and just do things the right way. And because I think I have in the last, especially the last few years, I've gotten everything I've ever wanted now. I mean, I, I'm living the best life I've ever had. It's unbelievable. So yeah, think, about, think of the disservice you would do to the world if you didn't share what you wanted to share or what you're sharing now. You know, I'll take a step further. I feel like it's an obligation. I really do. I feel like, you know, I've got, I've got all this knowledge and experience, which I never thought was going to be me. And you look at my, my Academy picture. I look like I'm a 12 year old kid. Not like I'm much better now. <laughs> How old are you now? You know, when I got done with my career, I never thought looking back that I was ever going to be anything near what I ended up being, you know? And I'm like, how did that happen, man? And then like in a fucking blink of an eye, a career, just like they always do for us. They, I mean, it flew by so fast. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, wait a second. Now I'm, now I'm 52. You know, I'm not a freaking 20 some odd year old kid anymore. Well, fucking wet, wet behind the ears and chasing bad guys. Now I'm this whole fat retired guy. And, you know, it's like, wait a second. I didn't think you were, I think you were, I'll give you this. I thought you were in your forties. Yeah. Thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah. I'm sure people don't guess you're 52. Yeah. Nobody believes me. You know, they don't believe I'm a grandfather either, which. You know, Are you a grandfather? I don't believe it either. I'm, I might deny that later, but yeah. <laughs> wow. That's interesting, dude. That's a wonderful thing. It is actually, it's, it's awesome. It's a, one of the greatest things in the world. I just love it. So. It's great, man. Yeah, I think it's a blessing to be able to be put in a position where you can appreciate something like that. Oh yeah. Right. What else do you want to discuss? Like we're going to some of this resiliency stuff or. Yeah. 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 So, um, you know, kind of back to the survival thing. So I guess good opportunity if you want to, I'll do a plug for the book. Uh, yeah, do it. People can see that when that day comes training for the fight. Um, so that thing originated in, uh, 26, well, technically 2016 after my buddy Dave was killed. Um, it was about a year after that I realized, and we all hear the same thing, you know, you need to write a story, one story a day from something that you did, which whoever really does, I didn't, you know, I never, never thought about it. Um, but when I started writing that thing, when I started to realize that I was, I was kind of not spiraling out of control necessarily, but I definitely wasn't myself and everybody in the world could see it except for me. And, you know, again, like I said before, you know, I'm walking around like, nope, I'm good. You know, pounding my chest. Don't worry about me. Dude, no, you're not okay. And finally I got cornered, started getting the help that I needed. And when I started getting better, when I started feeling better and acting better and acting more responsible, like I was supposed to, I started to realize that, man, I've got a, I've got one hell of a freaking career behind me and I still got a long way to go. I still had two more years before I could, before I could retire. And so I started writing this thing and pretty much after about the first chapter, the, the freaking thing just took off and wrote itself, man. I swear to God, I ended up by the time I, sent the manuscript off to my, my editor. Um, it was over a thousand pages. You know, we cut it down to whatever it is. I don't even know, 300 and something now. Um, and so I met Natalie, my girlfriend now. And the first thing she says, she goes, we're, we got to do this book, you know? And I was going, okay. I mean, all I thought was, you know, you're an editor, you know what you're doing. I'd like to make this thing into something really cool. And it exploded into something so so profound i don't even know where to start and what i tell folks all the time is i don't care if you're a freaking baker at the bakery or you're a bagger at the grocery store we all have a story everybody oh, should write sure. story. you know whatever it is even if you don't publish it and have it you know sitting on your wall i've, I've got a picture of it or i've got a copy of it on the wall whole long story i sent one to, to the white house got a really nice handwritten letter back this is 2017 so i was gonna say yeah but what year did you send it to the white house we got a funny feeling you might get a fucking 
piece of shit back in the mail. So, yeah, and that's probably what would happen now. But we're yeah. so to, for the purposes of, uh, I'll just avoid that conversation. But uh, no, I lied. It was I didn't say 2017. It was actually 2020 when I sent it over there. Um, so I think you were still in the right in the right uh, right era there. Right administration, yes, I was. The administration that supported the law enforcement. Yeah. Oh, dude, huge! I've got a great story about that in the book with him. Um, he's up there on on stage, and it's the vice president too, which is pretty unusual for them to be together, of course. And uh, he actually mentions day by name. And then mentions his son by name and takes a baseball cap and throws it out to the crowd. He goes, Hey, Micah, this is for you. And I'm like, dude, who does that, man? What kid can ever repeat that story, man? That's whether you like the guy or didn't like the guy, that is, that's just fucking awesome. Oh my God. So, yeah. Um, so that's kind of where the thing, the book started. And then after I started to realize that, man, I've got, you know, 18 or 19 years now of shit under my belt that I really need to just get out of my system, dude. I mean, it just, it took off and, Turns out I didn't, I'm not a writer. I mean, I joke about it that I can never write a police report, but turns out I can write a book. I mean, who knew, right? So yeah, it's awesome. But the way Natalie did all the editing and the spacing and everything else, she made it really, really easy. And apparently the way I write, it makes it really very entertaining. Like I'm, I mean, a lot of people that read this after talking, listen to me talk, they say the same thing. I hear this all the time. They're like, dude, it's like, you're just having a conversation with us. It's like being on a freaking written ride along. I'm like, cool. I mean, it's a, it's a phenomenal freaking you know, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Um, compliment to get that, you know, to get that feedback in return. And for me, it's, it's still the, the thing of like, well, I technically did this for me. I mean, this was my way to stay cathartic and ahead of the curve and so forth, so forth and so on. And Natalie pointed out, she goes, you know what? That book saved your life because of awesome. writing that book. And I was like, wow. Yeah. She's dude, she's spot on. Right, man. It's unbelievable. So, Chris, let's go into three pieces of advice you would give any police officer right now. Uh, guys, well, okay, I, I kind of go a couple of different directions. So you got the guys that are in the hiring process. What I tell guys all the time with that with that portion of their career is um, everything that you are going to be dealing with from the hiring process all the way through FTO, all the way through your career is designed to see how much you're willing to put up with, straight up. And mm-hmm. you, you'll very quickly realize that the first time somebody takes a swing at you or spits on you, you're going to be like, okay, you know, uh, this wasn't exactly what I thought it was going to be, but then you very quickly realize that, okay, well, I'm here, you know, for whatever reason, you're not going to leave. You can't leave or what have you. You're going to stick it out. And so for the guys that, you know, have between that 10 and 15 year mark where they're kind of in that, that stage of, you know, getting real jaded, this is bullshit. I can't stand this anymore. Um, what I tell those guys is, and I've seen this happen a hundred times, happen to me very, very common where guys get completely burned out and they're done. They're like, I need to find a new career. Um, don't do that. Don't quit. Um, don't forget why you're there. Okay. Don't forget what you were talking about in the, in the background investigator's office. I'll do whatever it takes. Well, yeah, you're going to fast forward five, seven, 15 years later. And yeah, you've seen a lot of bad shit. You've buried some of your brothers. You've come close to death several times. Um, so it sounds kind of crazy to say it this way and people might look at me sideways, but what I tell folks is go back and read your oath of office and just read that thing out loud to yourself and remember why you got started in this, in this process years ago when you were a young kid and find a way to reignite yourself because that's exactly what happened to me. I had uh, 13 years on and I was done, dude. I had a brand new rifle, awesome partner, new area, brand new Tahoe. And I, I had no desire to be out there whatsoever. I had all the best of the best of everything. And I was like, I'm just fucking done with this shit. I don't want to do it anymore. 
I figured out a way to rally, got back into it, and then I went back to right where I was, where I was out there chasing bad guys, having a time in my life. Now, I understand with the climate of things going on today, that's very, very difficult, and I'm not going to fret. Well, I'm going to jump in there, and I think that often, especially people come from uh, city agencies like Phoenix or large cities, um, I think the media has painted as being very, very difficult, but I'm somebody who's in the field while I'm all over the country, and i got to be honest with you, dude, there, there's probably better police work going on now than there's ever been. I, I agree uh, 100%. Yeah, and 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 there are there are many many agencies in the United States that are supporting proactive work and have their guys backs and let them go out and do police work. I, there's a lot of them, dude. I I couldn't agree hundred more than hundred percent. And the reason I say it the way I did is because a lot of guys kind of fall into that trap, um, just like the left. You know, they start believing their own media. It's like, wait a second, you're seeing a lot of bad shit, but you're forgetting what all the good shit. You know, which is why I say go back and read your oath and then remember why you're doing this, you know. Yeah, you know, it's, it's every time we post something on Instagram to be motivational or Facebook, or whatever, there's always one person who's pessimistic, like oh, the job's dead, fuck this place, da, da, da. I'm gonna tell you a quick story. It's interesting. Um I was obviously very proactive. And and people say, well, what kind of cop were you? I go, Well, I don't know. Try to imagine what kind of cop I was now that I teach ten thousand cops a year how to be cops. Right. I'm you know, so you know, that's the kind of cop I was. I was somebody who was proactive, very well-rounded. I was not specifically good at anything, but I felt like I was good at everything. And um, it's, that's with all humility, right? And I just felt I had so much to share. Why would I keep it to myself when I learned so much? And that's just who I am. It's a very quick, uh, I don't have a quick learner, but once I learn something, I really, really understand a lot of it, um, which exactly. why I knew I'd be fucking dangerous in business. And, you know, hence why we are, you know, and, and again, with all humility, having very, very fast progress here. I don't think that's hard to see how fast our progress has been. We've, we just talked about this yesterday. We have last December, I think we had four or five full-time employees. This December, we have 19 full-time employees. Nice, nice. I'm talking about instructors in the field. I'm talking about people's salaries that have to pay every day. <laughs> so, um, you know, we have, we went from having, I don't know, five or six instructors to in a year having 32 instructors. And next year we'll probably have 60 instructors nice. in the field. So, um, years ago, I remember being at a muster and, uh, a lot of you guys like, ah, fucking job's dead, blah, blah, blah. Why do you fucking care? This guy's a hard charger goes out. Dad, I'm just ignoring the noise. You know? So the Lieutenant comes to me and he goes, I just want to tell you a quick story. I said, sure. And he was on a job a long time. I got a job in 1969. Oh, so this, yeah. So this is like 2005, six. He's telling me the story and he had a significant amount of like 37, 38 years on it this time. Right. We, we still had guys from the, we still have guys 40 years on the job. You know, don't forget they were hired in the 60s and they're working with us in the early 2000s. So he said, uh, when I came onto the job, I should do an impression. People know who he is from my agency if I didn't. <laughs> but he said, when I came onto the job in 1969, you know what guys were saying to me in 1969? I go, what? He goes, the job's dead. Get out of it when you can. Da, da, da. He goes, and, and dude, you know. And he told me, he goes, we were fucking crazy. He said, we were, we were it was a whole different thing. He goes, I... I've been here for like almost 40 years. I'm mean, hearing the same fucking story every year. The job's dead. You can't do it. I had a guy, I went to, I went to uh, methods of instruction, uh, which is a prerequisite teaching the academies here. And I had gotten my, I became a farm instructor for my agency. And I had, in order to teach the academy, because I had such a, a craving to teach. It was just in my soul. To, I figured I could help, but I had so much to offer. And uh, I went to this methods of instruction class. And I chose my final topic was, well, my final topic was uh, at that time, 2006, the Jersey thing was really big. So I did a whole presentation on Guidos. Very fun. 
Awesome. My second topic was on interdiction work and the importance I felt it was. And when I say interdiction, I meant proactive policing. And I never forget this guy from this agency, actually close to where I live now. Uh, he goes, you know, that shit's dead, right? And I go, oh, and what do you think police work is? And he goes, well, I write tickets all day. I go, you can go write fucking all the tickets you want. He was tra- traffic division hand job, right? Okay. So you write all the tickets you want, but we'll see what it- I got to tell you. He, and he, started, he started dropping names of our prosecutors like, well, this one says don't even bother with it anymore. I go, listen, whatever you want, brother. Makes no difference to me. And I tell people I went out and had a fucking fruitful career with thousands of arrests. And what he said to me meant nothing. And it, I'm glad I let it roll off my shoulders because I knew it was bullshit when he said it. You know, of course, I hear this guy's like a pain in the fucking balls, right? He's a, still a traffic Nazi. He's the guy going out and dropping fucking 50 tickets in your face if you fuck up. You know, just, of course he's going to do it. He's going to sell himself this story, right? Because tickets are easy. They're a fucking joke. They're easy to do. It takes no, it takes no skill to write tickets. Let's face facts, dude. You're a hard charger, right? It takes literally zero talent to go out and know what motor vehicle law is and then employ it and slam somebody with four tickets and walk away like a fucking tough guy. What it does take talent to do is go out, have the chops, the audacity, and talent and skill to be uh, confident enough, audacious enough, and to be smooth enough to go out and apprehend criminals and, and proactively. So... These motherfuckers, they joined, they, they magnetized towards each other. That's police work. I remember they had a, uh, and again, I might be losing some followership for this, but whatever. Uh, guy says to me, oh, we're having a meeting at the Traffic Officers Association. I go, how do those meetings go? You just get up on stage. First guy's like, all right, here's how we fuck everybody over even more and get everybody to hate us more. You guys ready? Get your notepads out, right? And I try to emphasize to people, and again, some people have not gotten perspective of what police work is. Right. The society that you're looking to get behind you will get behind you when you can show them the kind of work you're doing. We just had, uh, just on Monday, I put it on Instagram, a Detroit police officer inter- interdicted and intervened with a woman who just kidnapped four kids from a bus stop. I saw that, I saw that yeah. Right? So, so, you know, nobody is going to fucking tell that guy that he's an asshole. Nobody's going to snicker at him or nobody's going to get mad at him. Right? I don't care who you are. Nobody is going to, he is getting nothing but praise from everybody, even anti-police people could not argue that. Yeah, no way. I wrote fucking some dude seven tickets because he was trying to, I don't know, pump his ticket numbers up. That's the guy that nobody wants to get behind. Those are things that people fucking hate about the police. I agree. Right? You want it, like, you know, you got to write tickets, I get it. Pull the guy over 22 over, give him a seatbelt ticket, tell him slow the fuck down. Right? You got to get those numbers in, and that's what they want you to do. Use your brains about it. Right, get people on our side. You're making people hate us, but when you go out and you start to target the people in society, the criminals, and and genuinely protect and rescue and save and intercept and interrupt, and just you know, guy says to me one time, and I tell the story in class. He took my class. He goes, "Yeah, I'm I'm into everything. I'm getting, I get so many jobs going on." He goes, "My lieutenant says I always know how to find trouble. I'm always I, I go." He goes, "I'm always finding trouble." I go, what kind of police officer are you if you're not finding trouble? Like, think about that. You're the police. You're supposed to find trouble, right? (laughs) What kind of cop are you if you are not finding trouble? That's just my, that's my thought. You're me if you're a shit magnet because the trouble finds me. (laughs) By the way, like, because you're a good cop, right? So, like, again, I'm being empathetic. I want to just express that, like, I get people working agencies where, 
you will get hung if you do anything outside of answering your radio. I'm not saying that. I'm saying when we have an option to do things and it's permitted, at least permitted, not even encouraged, but permitted, and you have an option to go out and interfere with and disrupt criminal activity, and that goes from anywhere from something very minimal, something very fucking very serious. I don't know where this insecurity comes from, where people are saying, that's just not for me. Tom Rizzo, who's our leadership instructor, famously said, I never understood a cop who didn't want to put bad people in jail. I never understood a cop who didn't want to use their handcuffs. Yeah. Right. And, and again, it's not this thing that we're going out and there's some power trip behind it. It's this thing of like, this is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be professionals that go out and protect society. So if I'm not handcuffing people who are fucking violent and dangerous criminals, what the fuck am I doing for the world? Bothering Tim, who's late to work, doing 14 over because he's going to be suspended for two days if he's late three minutes because his boss is a dick. And that's how I'm going to spend my time. Because people can't even make ends meet. And motherfuckers are handing out tickets like they're candy to people who genuinely support the police, who would pull over on the side of the road, give you a fucking hand if need be. But they're jaded. The world is not against us. People have to understand that shit. The world, not, but you want to keep making them against us, keep doing shit like that. Keep hammering motherfuckers out four foot. Do I think a guy who's a cocksucker on a traffic stop deserves five tickets? Yes. I'm with you on that, right? But polite people, right, who are genuinely apologetic and may have made a mistake with a clean driving record. What are we doing? Right? We're gonna what are you even doing bothering anybody in that in that facet, one to begin with, but two, like how are you spending your time? Wouldn't you want to be looking for people who are engaged in criminal activity? I don't understand any of this. It, the world is just bass backwards to me, dude. Yeah. No, I agree. Dude, I got a story, buddy of mine. He's actually a good friend of mine. And he uh, he actually had the freaking the stones to get on the radio and say, hey, I need, you know, supervisor approval to tow a car. And then he gets back on the radio and says, okay, I also need approval to get this wife, get the mom and her three kids off the freeway. Dude, you're actually going to freaking tow a mom and her freaking three kids. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Dude? I mean, you have nothing better to do with your time. I know. I know. Dude. You know what? And you know what it comes down to, Chris? It's a lack of training, a lack of perspective. Because you go to an academy, I always tell people, I go, who went to an academy where they taught you how to catch bad guys? I've never seen a hand raise. I go, so you go six months of training, and they don't teach you how to catch bad guys once. However, in week 14, some fucking disheveled traffic dude shows up and will bring you out and tell you the importance of writing summonses and help you. They'll show you, you how to do it. He's going to turn a radar unit on for two days and let you write tickets. Yeah. And that's what you think police work is. Yeah. And it's not your fault. A, a guy wrote to me about the comment. He's like, well, I don't know how to catch bad guys. And somebody wrote back to them, take their fucking training courses. Well, I did the same exact thing. I wrote a, I wrote a little story about that where, you know, I mean, I love my academy. It was awesome. I had a blast. Um, they taught me how to clean bad guys, but not how to catch them. You know, right. so I had to figure that out for myself. Luckily, I had a kind of FTO that was very, I mean, I ended up marrying his actions because this guy got, I mean, it was constantly just. You know, oh, what we call OV work on view. You know, I, that's what I did for 16 years when I had the very first opportunity to go to a specialty proactive squad. I got there and I never left because that's all I want to do is be out there chasing bad guys. And I stayed there the whole my entire career. So, I mean, I, but, yeah, I, I recognize the need for divisions and community affairs. I'm not denying that. Right. Like I, I like when there's a cop car in front of my kid's school. I fucking love it. I think it's great. I fucking really love it. Um, but Again, what I'm saying is, is if you have an opportunity to be proactive, and that's part of your patrol division duties to go out and be proactive, let's use the time 
wisely. Let's let's take our time, energy, efforts and give it to those who deserve it the most. Yeah, right? Okay. I'm, you're gonna fuck with Tim who's late for work, or you're gonna fuck with a dude who's about to do an armed robbery in fucking Seven Eleven. If you know how to know what to look for, I mean, just well, you know, I used to get I used to get shit for that because my boss, who I love dearly to this day, he's one of my closest friends still. Um, you know, we'd pick up all these dudes that had little misdemeanor warrants and shit, and I'd I'd send them back, and he's like. Why are you sending it back? I said, Steve, you know, first of all, I'm not, I'm not you. I don't do what you do. I said, let me go and do what I do. And I guarantee you. And it was literally, I'm not shitting you on average, you know, two or three stolen cars a week, a couple of guns and yeah. one felony arrest every single day. Cause I let the, I let the small shit go. I mean, yeah, we, I see it. And I'm like, okay, the guy's got expired registration. He's hanging out in the drug area kind of thing. Okay. I'll pull the guy over. If I lose interest in it, I send him on his way. Guaranteed, I'm going to find something bigger than that in the next five minutes, and I always did. Dude, yeah. by the way, you can't spend three hours doing paperwork on small shit. You'll learn that as you go. And for people who are listening to this, you've got to be able to focus on the, your highest priorities. What do you want to get, and what are you doing in reverse engineering how to get to that? Right. It is no different in any other success story. So if your idea of success as police officers to get things like Christopher's talking about here, um, Listen to what he's telling you. You know, again, don't violate policy, procedure, and all these other things. But, you know, dude, I, how do you not understand the concept? And some people just don't. And we're here to convey that message. You know, it's funny. We had a guy in our group today. And I, I, I've always urged people to read case law. So Zach Miller, who's our case law expert, is like, you know, I, I don't agree with that. He goes, here's what happens. Look at this fucking post from this guy. We got a guy in the group arguing with us about some, some legal advice we gave. And we're very good at Zach's the best. I think I'm pretty good. I understand and can interpret case law, what, what they mean by it, what they're talking about, and how to apply it. And, you know, I never realized how fucking people, how badly people misinterpret case law. Oh, dude, are you kidding me? <laughs> I know, and, 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 it, and it's crazy. And, you know, Zach's like, this is why you should pay a trained person to communicate it like us. The department should invest in these, in, 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 a, in companies like ours, to convey this to people in a digestible manner. Right. If you go into our Facebook group, you're going to see this guy arguing with us. He's fucking clueless. And look, we don't know what to say. And he wants to argue back. And he's trying to sound like diplomatic. And he's fucking clueless. He has no idea. He has missed the mark on every argument that he's making. He's citing case law. It's irrelevant to the topic. And I'm like, how are you not understanding this, dude? I was I was doing something very similar today. I was teaching um, protecting against in-custody death. Not a big deal, right? Not Basically, I started the class with this class isn't about what you can do. It's pretty much mostly about what you can't do. And I said, you need to pay attention to these little key words like will, shall, may, must. Those are the key words when that's in your policy. You know, you will do this. You may do this. You need to pay attention to those words because when you go to court, you got to testify on what you did. That shit's going to matter. I guarantee you, you know. So, yeah, for sure. Some guys understand it. Some guys don't, you know, so. It's wild, dude. I mean, it's, it's wild. And we're trying to do our best. Like, I'm not complaining about it, but like, man, the lack of humility is, is just unbelievable. Right. And, and, and again, I might come across, you know, it's funny. Josh Fidel was just here. We just did a podcast prior to this and he was shot in the head in the line of duty in Atlantic city. He's a great guy. And he said, he was hanging out with guys recently. They want to know about me. And I'm like, I said, um, what do they want to know? He goes like, like what you were like. And I'm like, is it really coming off that incorrectly in the, in some of the things that I do? I go, how much content have they digested? Of, of what I'm putting out there. Is it 10 seconds? Because I can understand in 10 seconds why you would get a bad taste in your mouth by a guy like me because of my Jersey bravado, my s- solid rock, solid fucking spine, 
right? My passion for the truth, my lack of pandering to the nonsense and bullshit. Uh, but don't forget, see through it. There's genuineness in my soul. I'm, you know, and he told these guys, they're like, you know, um, he's great. He's a great guy. The guy's a great fucking guy. And they're just like, well, like, oh, wow, it's interesting. Well, you know, I say something very, very similar to that, where I say, even to my class kids, you know, they're, they're security guards. They're not cops. I get it. It's a whole nother thing. But I tell them all the time, I said, look, man, I'm not the smartest guy in the room, but I do know some things. Now, when I throw something out there to you, if you don't agree with me, I want that feedback. I really do. Especially with the book. Because if you guys think I'm full of shit, I want to learn from that because I'm not just going to spew out information just because, well, that's what Chris Hoyer says. Well, fucking Chris Hoyer's a retard. Why? If, if you think I am, I, I absolutely I will take that on board all day long. But tell me why. Give me a good argument as to why it is that you don't agree with what I'm saying. And I will either agree with what you're saying and say, yeah, you know what? You're right. I never thought about it that way. Or I will say, well, this is the direction that I went and this is why this is where I ended up at this thought process, you know? So dude, it's crazy. And like, you know, I gotta be honest with you. I, I I'm down for the conversation. I invite people on the podcast. I invite people on, onto the, onto live videos. They run for the Hills, the keyboard warriors. Oh, they don't say it to my face. You've got chiefs of police who are keyboard warriors on LinkedIn today. Keyboard warriors. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Chief of police. And I'm inviting him like, come on the fucking podcast with me. You want to discuss what I said? I'd love to have the conversation. You can't be a fucking keyboard warrior and like expect that like we're not going to. So I talked to Zach. I go, doesn't it free? He goes, sometimes I feel like I just walk out and respond to these people. I go, because you, if you don't, it looks like you're being chumped out. And especially where we are and the trust we build with the law enforcement community of being inherently and trying to be correct. And if we're wrong, we'll admit it. You know what I mean? I've, I've been wrong. And I'm like, eh, you know what? That's why I didn't give a solid answer on that because I wasn't sure about that case and those circumstances. And I, sh- I gave a thought based on what I knew, but that's not my area of expertise. And I should have fucking kept my mouth shut. And I've literally admitted that. Okay. Uh, but I really, you learn from these things as you go along and I stay in my lane as much as I possibly can. And I, and by the way, Chris, just like you said earlier, I'm a human being. Yeah. I'm doing my best to do something. Well, for the you world. hit it on the head. You hit it on the head just now. You're still learning as you go. You know, I, I, I'll learn till the day I'm dead. If you thought you knew everything, you wouldn't be doing the thing because you would feel like you don't have a purpose. You'd be like, well, I don't fucking need to do that. I already know everything. Why do I need to teach shit? When when somebody steps up to the plate and decides to do something, and this is for anybody who's listening, I'm trying to give you confidence and understand what I'm talking about. You're basically opening up a, uh, your body for, uh, you know, if you could hypothetically, sorry, figuratively speaking, think about what I'm talking about here. You're exposing yourself for ridicule. Oh, yeah. Trust me. So every time I put a post up, I know that there's some kind of exposure to ridicule. We're leaving ourselves vulnerable. And people who are insecure and live in a bad place will take time and opportunity to try to criticize and chastise the things that you're trying to do. And you're saying, so I'm trying to share, I'm trying to make things better. I'm trying to help you see things better, more clearly. And insecure people, they don't like that shit. Right. And that's their opportunity because you leave yourself vulnerable. Here I am. This is who I am. I'm exposing myself. This is what I believe. This is who I am. And then they, they just take their shots. But what I ask people back in return, I, and, and it's funny, one of the posts I put up, uh, and it actually went viral beyond the one fourth community. I mean, it flew everywhere. I mean, it got like 2 million shares, fucking wild. Uh, it said, uh, let me think of it. Actually, it's funny because I had to, I had a guy reach out to me and said, I want to hang that at our police academy in Texas. Okay. Would you send that to me? So I signed it, sent it to him. And somebody else reached out and said, I said, I gave it to somebody already. And this other girl said, I want to frame it and put it in my police academy. No and it said, <laughs> people who, 
it said something along the lines that I can't, maybe the, I, I do so many Instagram posts. I have to really dig in the time right now to go deep into it. But it said something like people who criticize others haven't done shit. Oh, absolutely. Oh, you know what I mean? So like, what have you done for the world? Yeah. Tell me what you've done that you're going to step to the plate and take time and opportunity to criticize the work and efforts that I'm trying to do, which basically in a nutshell boils down to what I'm trying to, in every sense of the word on a macro level, keep cops alive and put bad people in jail. Not much more complicated than that. really. Every sense of the word are the two top things that this company focuses on. Keep cops alive and put bad guys. And then it all trickles down from there. So anyway, man. you had one other question that I didn't. Uh, yeah, finish that last one, man. Come on. So uh, for the guys that are, that are approaching their 20, getting, getting close, um, complacency. Okay. And believe me when I tell you, um, I didn't have that opportunity because of what happened after my, my situation with my buddy, Dave. Uh, when I got back on the street uh, with about a year to go, I was like crazy hyper paranoid. So I never had the opportunity to get complacent, but there are so many things. I learned this from a good buddy of mine the other day. I just met, we started training together a couple of weeks ago. Really solid dude. Just love this guy. Um, he goes, you know, more often than not, what happens with us is a lot of critical incidents happen toward the end of your shift, which makes perfect sense. It's not just the end of your shift. It's not because, you know, like in my case, when I was fighting with the ex, you know, now what am I focused on? I'm sitting in uniform in a patrol car and I'm focusing on what bullshit's going on with her, not taking care of myself on the street like I'm supposed to be. It's the exact same thing when guys start getting, you know, if you look at statistics, um, there's another reason why I left too, because you figure that statistically speaking, um, the average guy, the average ship magnet, i.e. Chris Hoyer, you're going to get in your first shooting within the first one to five years. Then you're going to get in your second shooting within about seven to 12 years. Then a lot of time will pass. And then you'll get in your, your third, typically final shooting. If you are, if you're that guy between your 19th and 23rd year. And that, if you look at, guys that have had more than one officer involved shooting those numbers match up almost perfectly every single time i was kind of an anomaly i was a little bit different all of my shit just kind of fucking fell on my lap across the board so what i tell guys it's like look man you know i get it you you're at that stage you hit your 20 now the city's on probation you can leave whenever you want to kind of a thing don't let that be your focus remember again like the other younger cats why you're there and don't think shit man i've survived 20 years i can handle anything and what some guys I've seen happen before, what do they start doing? They start not wearing their vest to work. Okay, well, that's a freaking, that's a suicide trip right there as far as I'm concerned. Um, or whatever your issue is, whatever you got going on. Um, if you are, if you if you hit your 20, you got your pension going, whatever else, and you can physically retire comfortably, and you, you kind of have this feeling like I did, where it's like, I know if I stay, because I've already done everything I can do. Dog shooting, bad guy, rifle, rifle gunfight. The only thing next for me is I'm going to get shot. And I'm like, mm-hmm. fuck that. I'm not going to. I don't want to go through that shit. Wow. You're going to die for 75000 bucks a year? Yeah, no, exactly. You know, and I, and I realized that, you know, in a combination of things, um, it was probably like maybe three or four weeks before I retired. Long, long story short, basically, I had a guy. He had holding two people at gunpoint inside of a car. Um, backstory on me. So I got my firearms instructorship in 05, rifle instructorship 2012. So I've been through all that shit. I've shoot off instructor, all everything you can do with firearm stuff. Um, so I know how to handle a weapon pretty well for the most part. And when I went to holster my gun, my freaking finger was slacked out completely on the trigger. And I recognize I'm like, dude, if I stay here, I'm going to get into another shooting 
or another gunfight or I'm going to get shot. And I know that I probably won't recover from that one. I just know that already. So that's why I decided, you know what? Um, I'm not really ready to leave this profession, but I've got to figure out another way that I can, that I can kind of keep my head in the game, but not still be wearing a uniform. If that makes any sense. Yeah. So for a lot of those guys dude, just, you know, like I've been saying since day one, it's like, dude, take a step back from this career from time to time and figure out, assess where you are, you know, in your life, mentally, financially, all these kinds of things. And if you can't, if you can't retire, you know, financially, because so many of us get jammed up, I'm no different. I was, I'm a atypical freaking jackass and went and bought a bunch of stupid shit on, on, on off duty money. Just like so many guys do quads and dirt bikes, toy haulers, all that dumb shit. You know, uh-huh. if you can't, I think this is my opinion. The next step for you should be all right now, because it's not safe for me to be on the street anymore because I have everything that I'm focusing on is anything except for what I'm doing on the street. Go find an admin job. You know what? There's no shame in that whatsoever. I don't care how many great things you've done, what lack of shit you've done in your career. If you know, and be honest with yourself too, because I had to be honest with myself on a lot of shit, trust me. And I went through some really major life altering decisions to try to keep myself, you know, mostly mentally and emotionally safe, if you will. And so when I got to that point, I realized that dude, this, I just can't do this anymore. Um, I could have, I could have, you know, moved over to, freaking child crimes or something like that find something else whatever it is i don't i mean whatever it is go and i mean for me it was great because i was an instructor so i went to the training field and i just never left pretty much uh-huh. even though i retired i'm back in and dude i'm having a fucking time of my life being an instructor it's the greatest thing ever so go get some instructorships on your belt if you want to stay in this thing if you think that you've got 20 25 years on and you still want to have some some say so go teach the young kids Dude, they're little sponges, man. They, they listen to everything you tell them. It's awesome. I fucking love it. So yeah, that's cool. <laughs> that's my third piece of advice. One thing that I that I'm proud to report is that uh, one of the compliments I'll get in my class is like, you have refreshed me. You've reminded me of my purpose. I actually, had a guy write to me because you know I was trying to be a lieutenant. He goes, I just literally after your class walked out here and said I'm never going to fucking try to be a lieutenant. I go, why is that? And he goes, because I'm doing things that are outside of what I did, why I became a cop to try to become a lieutenant. He's I'm perfectly fine being a sergeant. And I made the decision immediately when I heard you talking. I said, well, I'm not trying to sway you away from being a, he goes, no, 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 listen to me. It's a very personal decision of mine. I just want to help you understand that you got me there. And it's a very, very smart decision of mine. And I get this all the time. Like, Hey, um, you know, you just, I'm 21 years on and I was feeling like shit and I'm refreshed. And I get people like, dude, the last four years of my career were great because of you. Like you just reminded me. Of why I did this shit, and I had a blast. I get people who just like didn't even know how to be a cop for 21 years, and they're like, yep. "Fuck, dude, you blew my mind." I went out and tried this stuff, and I've been killing it for the last four years that I have. Real shit. Like I get this stuff all the time. I love that, man. I absolutely. I mean, I, I, I kind of joke about it, but I actually live for that kind of shit. You know, getting those compliments. You know, I had a guy that got into a really nasty gunfight, and uh, long story short, I did some mag exchanges with him one day for a couple of hours, and he got into a gunfight. And he ended up doing a mag exchange, never even knew he did it. When Internal Affairs came over and asked him when he did it, he goes, I did. And they're like, well, that's your mag laying on the ground. Dude, he was completely lights out. He came back, and the first thing he said was, you saved my life. I go, yeah, I get that a lot. So it's amazing, dude. I, I, love, I, I love hearing that secretly. But the truth of the matter is what I told him, what I tell people all the time. It's like, dude, I gave you the tools to make yourself better. You saved your own life. Because first of all, you listened to what I had to say. You took it on board, and you took it to the next level. You know, And that's all it was. And, all I do was and, and the question is, Chris. What, what would have happened if you didn't say anything or do anything or, or offer what you had? And the answer is maybe that. 
right? So I've had, I can't countless times of people saying that I decided not to kill myself because of you, because of the things you say that, right? So I, we don't, we don't have to open up this can of worms, got to wrap this up uh, for this episode. But, you know, I tell people, I, I don't hear noise, good or bad anymore, right? I acknowledge what, what I'm doing, but I don't give a fuck what anybody has to say about what I'm doing when I have cops telling me they decided not to kill themselves because of me. Dude, that's the biggest thing ever. It doesn't get any bigger than that. There's no yeah, question. So I'm, listen, dude, I, you know, we, we're doing wonderful things. And sometimes, you know, you got to remember that you're doing wonderful things. And I honestly, I've been so trained and conditioned mentally that the stupid shit don't bother me. And by the way, just everybody knows, anytime something fucked up happens in your life, I'm going to give you this one. It's a real cool one. It will go away. Hang in there, one foot in front of the other. It'll fizzle away. It'll die off and you'll never hear about it again. I agree. I take it to the next level on that one, too. Um, I go back to Red Dawn, one of my favorite movies of all time. Patrick Swayze. What does he say in that movie when they when the dad gets killed and they're watching when uh, Charlie Sheen's watching them and they're executing all the people? Patrick Swayze gets on her and he goes, let it turn to something else. I fucking love that line because that's exactly what it's going to be. Over some period of time, a minute, five minutes, or a day, let it turn to something else and you'll have something else to focus on. Guaranteed you will. You know yeah. what I mean? So. Chris, this has been fucking awesome, dude. I love it, dude. I love it. We got to do this again. Seriously. Yeah, for sure, dude. Uh, uh, I'm going to make sure just, uh, you had Jess's information. Just have her send you my email, uh, my, my phone number, because I obviously can't leave it here on the podcast. Got it. Um, some guy asked me the other day when Cleveland he goes, uh, you going to give your number out? I went, are you fucking crazy? <laughs> are you insane? I gave my number to people when I first started doing police training. And brother, the weirdest things people send to me, like, it's the fucking weird. I mean, you know, I, I don't know. It's a long story. But anyway, listen, I appreciate everybody tremendously. I don't give my personal phone number. I just don't. You can DM me on Facebook or Instagram or send an email, uh, streetcoptraining at gmail.com. By the way, check out our, our website, streetcop.com, our Facebook group, uh, Instagram, streetcoptraining, Instagram for police officers, streetcop Leo. Uh, you know, we're trying to do things for the world and appreciate everybody continue to listen to the streetcop training podcast. We'll bring in more and more interesting people on and, Chris, uh, I think we had a really good episode today, man. So I appreciate Absolutely. you being here. Dude, no, I love it. Give like myself a number. It's my honor, man. So Yeah, I know it's my honor, bro. I'm humbled that you chose us to uh, and agreed to come on the show. <laughs> you guys are studs, man. I'm just a regular old street dude, man. Yeah, see, we're, let's, let's not have a humble off right now. This is, this is a Kenny <laughs> Williams Benito thing. We do this shit all the time. I know, I know, I know. All right, brother. Listen, if I don't talk to you, actually, I'll talk to you before the holidays. So I'm not going to say happy holidays, but thank you all again, and everybody be safe, and see you guys later. Beautiful. Thanks.